You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Welcome to the JCN Clinic Podcast Show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Michaela. And that's a new voice that you're hearing on the other end. <laughs> Michaela is one of the practitioners at the JCN Clinic. Uh, she is a naturopath and a bloody awesome one. And I've dragged her onto the <laughs> podcast show against her will. Literally. <laughs> Literally, I I sent an email out to Michaela and Mel about, I don't know, two weeks ago, asking them about the podcast, and both of them just gave me radio silence, which is usually a sign that um, they're, they're just not too interested, because usually I'd hear back, I'm like, hmm, so it took a bit of prompting and crowbarring. It's just scary, it's, it's new, I haven't done it before, so I have no idea what I'm doing, I'm just winging it. It's the way to go. Jump jump on in. So we are going to be talking today about, I like the topic you called it, called it actually, gut bugs and mental health. We have talked in the past on the podcast about mental health. Um, we have talked about relationships with mental health issues and the gut to a point, but we thought it was um, an apt time to dive in with Michaela from a different perspective and discuss some new things and there's always information that's changing in this field all the time uh, and I'm sure there'll be a lot that people will, will take from the podcast and I know Mickey you you put out a bit of a call on your socials for topics and this one won how I didn't even see but was this like a, a sweeping win this topic um no there was actually quite a bit of interest also in like fertility and childhood nutrition but it definitely was like more than half of the votes were on this side yeah 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 okay interesting yes so when we say gut bugs and mental health i want to just clarify i like the obviously it's a kind of catchy fun name when we say gut bugs we're really talking about the gut and the bacteria and, and more so the microbiome and its relationship to mental health. So that's going to be a big cornerstone of what we're talking about today. Uh, so I thought what we do is start first with a bit of an overview as far as what the gut brain connection means. You hear it a lot these days. I don't know. Do you think? I feel like it's kind of thrown out there a fair bit, that phase or phrase, I should say, not phase. <laughs> Yeah, definitely a lot more than when I was in uni, I think. Um, but, like, the research is constantly catching up to this. So I think now that there is a lot more research backing it, it's, it's like, more well-known and more aware. Yeah, it's kind of, like, not so esoteric or woo-woo anymore when yeah. you talk about the gut-brain connection. There's a bit – there's a lot of data, like, not a bit, that there's a lot. And I think even, you know, obviously mainstream medicine – is catching on i know when i've done stuff even just with other people in a more mainstream environment like that's been a, a question that's come up it's like what is this gut brain connection <laughs> uh, but do you want to start mickey by just talking a little bit about 
what we mean when we talk about that gut-brain connection? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> gut, gut-brain connection is literally what it sounds like. So it's the way that your brain is connected to your gut and all the things that that kind of leads onto and, and means for your body and how it responds to stuff. Um, so technically they're connected through the nervous system via the vagus nerve and it goes all the way from the back of your head where your brain stem starts all the way down to the bottom of your torso I guess so it is really it's actually kind of like the largest and most complex nerve bundle in the body as well but that's basically connecting like what your gut's feeling and what it's interpreting about its environment based on what you eat connecting that to your brain and then you goes the other way as well so your brain to your gut and what you're observing through your eyeballs and your other senses (laughs) (laughs) through your eyeballs yeah (laughs) yeah I I love how you just described that like just as far as how huge it is as a like neural highway I always love thinking about it as that you're just sort of talking about that to and fro like that traveling back and forth like literally thinking about as this busy highway yeah um and i reckon like there'd be people listening that would just even that alone be like what the hell like this you know this vegas nerve (laughs) what is that like that's just the body is crazy it is and it's really highlighting that um physicality of that connection Uh, because i know we're going to be talking about the gut in regard to the microbiome but yeah what we're seeing here is there's actually this physical connection um and i know as we go through we'll talk about that vagus nerve and the nervous system and why when we're talking about mental health um that's so imperative um and i guess yeah that gut brain connection too we do see in the clinic quite commonly people having these um they may not have been diagnosed as like mental health conditions but we do see issues around that space as far as anxiety um mood like low mood maybe border borderlining towards depression again like you know these sort of labels i'm not saying they've been diagnosed but we'll we'll often see see that as part of someone's presentation and they will say even in like an initial consultation that they notice when they don't feel well within their gut or their gut's off or inflamed or angry that they feel and and, um, experience that direct effect, whether it's like heightened anxiety or low mood or whatever that might be. Um, Do you agree? Like you see that a lot where clients, they may not of course even understand what's going on, but they just, they'll see that they get that upregulated effect on their mood or their mental health if their gut is more inflamed yeah 100 percent. and i was going to bring this up later but there was this fun book that i was reading and i think it's kind of relevant to this point specifically um it was technically talking about the development of inflammation behind depression and just thinking about like all that gut inflammation and if you're getting chemicals signals sorry going from your gut to your brain telling you like there's something wrong I'm detecting all of this weird stuff, what's going on? Of course your brain's gonna freak out and all of that inflammation does not just stay there, it travels in your bloodstream and stuff. So there's 100% that that bi-directional feedback. And even Mm. like, I know most people probably explain it a bit more simply in terms of like, if you're feeling anxious, you get the butterflies in your tummy, like Mm. even just something as simple as that. But definitely with, with the 
all of the gut stuff that we do see at clinic, how that kind of impacts mood, even during treatment as well. Like one of the clients I had lately, they've been doing some antimicrobial work and they have noticed, I mean, we did go in a little bit harder on the antimicrobials, but they have noticed that change in their gut microbiome is kind of bringing down their mood a little bit. So we've backed mm. off on that, but yeah, that's one aspect of, of treatment as well that we have to kind of look at and focus on. Mm. I'm so glad you said that. Cause yeah, that's something as practitioners to be really aware of and for us to kind of have those open eyes about and also if people are trying to treat themselves in their own space and not realizing the impact um, of, of these facts like what can actually happen when you're stirring up the gut and stirring up microbes and and how that might affect someone and it's not going to be like that for everyone but yeah that's yeah absolute case in point where you'll see that with clients um, and then conversely you'll see it where you are working and way and reducing that inflammation as you said and they're coming back to you say even like you know even in sometimes the first sort of month or two saying like something shifted like I just was really anxious all the time and it's just gone like it just I can feel I'll never forget someone saying that once to me they were just like it's gone like it's absolutely gone (laughs) I just couldn't they just couldn't get their head around it even though we talked about that relationship it was just so fascinating to see so yeah yeah it's um it's pretty amazing. Um, so what we, we've just talked about what that gut-brain connection means as far as that relationship between the gut and the brain and how we've got that vagus nerve. And then as Michaela mentioned, we've also got the inflammatory load that can move from the gut into the bloodstream and travel systemically and definitely then affect the brain. So we've got, we've got those two factors. So what we want to do is move on to what are the contributing factors within the gut that can affect mental health, which is a big question <laughs> as far as there being many, many answers. To hand it over to you first, what comes to mind as far as some of those big contributing factors that we see in the gut that tend to have um, an effect on mental health? Oh, off the top of my head, probably more like IBS or food intolerances that all play around with that inflammation in the gut and affect the microbiome, usually mm-hmm. negatively. But like, even just, well, IBS is an easy one because that's pretty obvious. Food intolerances like your dairy and your gluten and potentially other things, but all of those things will increase that inflammation that's happening in the gut and that alone changes the gut microbiome can also talk about like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and all of those other kind of things that happen in terms of like pathogenic mm-hmm. um, changes to the gut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those actual conditions that we can see um, that at the root cause of most of this, as you just said, is that inflammation that tends to be a big driver for putting more of a load onto the body. And as you said before about that gut-brain connection, whether it's something like IBS or Crohn's, all those sort of pathologies as such. I mean, with IBS pathology, that's a whole other question. (laughs) (laughs) Whether we've got that or we've got like food intolerances or we've got like a 
a microbiome dysbiosis, so that imbalance of bacteria or yeast overgrowth, all of these all of these different things we can see going on in the gut usually are causing an inflammatory response. And essentially what we're going to see is that inflammatory load is going to put more of a burden onto the body. But in, in some people, this is where it's really fascinating, right? Like for some people that inflammatory load, once we have more of that um, going through into the bloodstream, as you mentioned, and upregulating also sometimes, of course, that immune response and that inflammatory response there. For some people, that flow of that into the brain or that communication pathway with the vagus nerve into the brain has more of that deleterious effect on mood. And mm. I don't know, I just find it, I find it fascinating, hey, how some people... Some people just get that and then other people don't. I mean, I guess that's genetics to a point. Um, I've never really, just I'm just sort of off the top of my head, I don't think I've ever really seen a massive pattern there um, as far as like, you know, particular types of presentations and thinking oh, that's definitely going to have an effect on anxiety or that's definitely going to make someone feel like they're more um, depressed. I don't know. I just... just um, it's just don't I just think it's interesting as far as like how some people will experience this and others don't. No, and what you said was was right. Like it is mostly a case of genetics and like what they're predisposed to, of course. But then everyone is different. Like they have different gut microbiomes. They respond to things generally differently. Um, everything about them is is a little bit different to the next person. Even though humans as a species are fairly similar, there's all those micro differences that make it case by case kind of why is that driving whatever mental health issue you're struggling with mm -hmm. yeah exactly exactly yeah and the, as far as genetics like that family predisposition you know there's obviously that component that's there too mm -hmm. um yeah i just find it fascinating and mental health it's never really been a, a massive thing as far as like my passion area like it's always been other practitioners in jcn and like usually it's been something that is as always like they've we've, we kind of bring our own thing right to what we tend to love um so they've sort of had their experience of that so i just i do find it interesting and and as you just said too like then there's the bacterial component so there's more and more research going into this looking at different microbes um as far as overgrowth and undergrowth and how that may be related back to changes in mood. Yeah. I don't know whether you sort of, um, I know there's some things that come to mind for me, but with going over this as a topic, if you had anything pop up there that you thought was interesting. <laughs> a few pathways. Um, mostly I just wanted to cover that like that changes in the microbiome. If that inflammation coming from wherever it's coming from, or if there's that immune reaction that affects your microbiome negatively, like impacting those good gut bugs is going to impact your short chain fatty acid production, which they're naturally anti-inflammatory. So we want almost as much of that as we can be producing within reason. Um, so anything that's going to decrease your good gut bugs is generally not great. But also I did a little bit of research and I found a study or two that was talking about specific families um, mm -hmm. related to mental health. And there was one that was 
oh, I'm going to butcher every single one of these. <laughs> Actinobacteria, just wait. Yep, there you got that. Enterobacteriaceae. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> that sounds right to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> both of those were generally increased in like major depressive or bipolar disorders. So obviously there might be a little bit of that interaction happening when you're starting off in an like obviously not starting off with major depression, mm. forgetting that pathway. Um, and they also had decreased mm, fecal, fecal bacterium. Fecal bacterium proxy, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I know that one so well is just from like, you know, ages, ages ago when it was like, there's, I, I feel like over the years there's been certain bacteria that have been the stars mm. and just been the ones that have had all the attention. And there was a point where fecal bacteria and Pratsitsii was like the it bacteria. And then it moved on, I felt like, to Akkermansia, which oh. Chris still teases me about as being obsessed with. Constant <laughs> change. <laughs> so, sorry, that study was about um, that being low, yeah, yeah, I imagine. So the first two being high and, and the F. Pratsitsii being low. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's those sorry, changes those changes in what is making the good byproducts in your gut and what is making the more bad byproducts in your gut. Yeah, for sure. And you know what it's interesting cuz that fecal bacterium practicum like has been so heavily studied and it is definitely like it, as far as overall studies go when it's low is when there is more inflammation and problematic issues i know it's been like correlated with you know definitely ibs and ibd and if you i even think to um the gifx stool test and they have like that chart at the end where it matches up some of the major conditions with if a bacteria is low or high and yeah. there's ones like that um fp let's say <laughs> where you look along it and it's all of the studies are just like if it's low it's a problem yeah. Like it's just across the board. So it's just, it's a real, it seems to be a real cornerstone. Um, so that's really fascinating. And as you just said, as far as like short chain fatty acids go and it being a big contributor there. Um, I love that you mentioned short chains. I'd kind of forgotten about them. I like <laughs> love them. <laughs> but man, yeah, like as far as just that importance for the back, well, really for the microbiome overall, right? Like diversity, quality, health and... Yeah just even right back onto like the importance of having a healthy gut but also diversity of micro microbes and and having a, a diet that's going to feed those microbes and and how important those short chains are yeah because like all of these are uh, technically natural to be in the gut microbiome it just depends on the amount yeah exactly that's exactly right and some of them i know we definitely are seeing this is why i thought it was good to revisit this there's always more studies being done looking at phylums so sort of like groups of bacteria and how they behave mm -hmm. but then also different species and they're definitely finding more and more about yeah as Michaela just highlighted certain species that tend to be trending to be low or high um, and the other with certain categories of mental health and obviously other things um, but the other thing that I think is interesting is that they've also looked at bacteria as far as their ability to help produce a little bit of the neurotransmitter activity in the gut. Um, yeah. I don't know whether you've seen much about that in your studies around. 
Um, I don't recall any like the specific ones that do that, but I know that the gut in general can make like your serotonin a little bit of dopamine and your GABA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which again, actually, do you want to let people know what we mean by that? Like, what the hell do we mean by serotonin, GABA, and dopamine? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so your serotonin—it's kind of like your happy hormone. They like all of these work together to do all of the emotions really, and then your dopamine's kind of like that reward-based. It's kind of happiness, but it is reward-based mm. behavior. And then your GABA is like your calming neurotransmitter. So we do use GABA a lot in like helping people focus as well, making sure that the brain's not like hyperactive. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's that calming neurotransmitter. It's usually a bit higher when we go to sleep, that sort of thing. And useful in anxiety treatment too. For sure. And yeah, like, hello, like gut bacteria helping with the production there. Serotonin, big one, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. I know the bifidobacteria um, collectively have the ability to help produce GABA. Um, and interestingly, like those guys are also big short chain fatty acid, particularly your butyrate producing as well. So. Oh, yeah. I know, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, maybe for us kind of nerding out, but like it's interesting how the the bacteria or the groups of bacteria that you can look at that can be these really prevalent short-chain fatty acid producers and, and butyrate, which has been so heavily studied for all these health benefits, inclusive of mental health, also tend to hold some of the bacteria or a lot of the bacteria that help produce things like GABA um, and so forth dopamine as you just mentioned which is really cool i think dopamine's for the bifidobacterium family too yeah if i remember and i'm going down a bloody (laughs) tunnel (laughs) as usual (laughs) a rabbit hole tunnel (laughs) like even just thinking then like with that bifidobacteria that sort of collective how often when we do stool testing in clinic do we see this low like all the heaps right yeah. I don't think I've seen, like, any time we've done stool tests, I don't think I've seen one client where it was at a good, healthy rate. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, it's pretty yeah, it's pretty fascinating when you think about it like that. Although, I mean, the, these, these bacteria we're talking about, too, also tend to thrive more off plant-based fibres and... Oh, this is where it's that vicious sort of cycle <laughs> we talk about in clinic all the time, right? You've got gut issues, so you start eating more like lower fiber and you might have put yourself on a low FODMAP. So you, you kind of are starting to eat less of these foods that help fuel these bacteria and provide all these building blocks that we're talking about. So you can kind of see how it becomes that vicious cycle, right? Yeah. There's so much that goes into that. And they all like, then you can just talk about like back up at the beginning a little bit more, like already have mood changes. Maybe you're a little bit more stressed. What's that doing to your digestion in terms of breaking the food down first of all, and then how that's going to affect your gut microbiome down further as well. There's so many pathways to go through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we haven't even talked about that as far as like we've kind of jumped straight into talking about the microbes and the um, bacteria. I haven't even mentioned yeast, but essentially like that that microbiome itself. But wow, yeah, like upper upper gastric activity like what's going on there and then that relationship between (laughs) and again that that sort of feedback loop isn't it that 
stress, emotional state, and then how that's affecting things like enzyme secretion and potentially not breaking down food properly. Like it's, it's, mm. it's really fascinating how it all sort of feeds back onto itself. Yeah, and it is a big topic, like you said, like contributing factors to mental health in relation to the gut. It's like five million things. And you can talk about <laughs> leaky gut all you want, but all of this is going to be related to that leaky gut too. Yeah. And you know what I would also say, I love that you just mentioned that about just enzymes being secreted and just thinking about the environment too. It's it's really cool to talk about the microbiome and how it's the inflammation capacity of that and the neurotransmitter production. But one of the biggest things we see all the time in clinic is people's behavior around how they eat food every day and how stressed they are when they eat and how much that causes disruption yeah right a complete disruption like not a complete like they'd be (laughs) they'd be like dead it's my favorite (laughs) catch phase (laughs) it was complete disruption but like a really severe disruption right of digestion Mm. so i just think like this i'm just thinking it's very prevalent in my mind at the moment because there's been a few clients this week that i've talked to about this who are experiencing uh, classic gut symptoms that seem so correlated to their inability to just sit the hell still and eat a meal and not be in this absolute stressed out state when they're eating Mm. i just i just think that's a really good thing to bring up about this and um i was telling a client this week i had a I had a client i don't know maybe six months ago and i'll often tell my clients this story just to kind of hone in and make them realize how much me asking them to sit and eat their lunch for five minutes away from the desk is important <laughs> so i said to this client right i don't want you to take to worry about taking any supplements or um changing anything else I just want you to follow this rough food plan that we have. However, what I want you to do is every time you eat, I really want you, if it's breakfast, I need you to sit for 10 to 15 minutes at home, like eat your breakfast and sit. When you have lunch at work, take it outside, um, sit in the park for sort of 10 to 20 minutes, which she said was an option for her. And then same with dinner, just make sure that it's not rushed, you sit down. So that's all I asked of her to do. And she was really willing to do it. And I said, I want you to do that though for four weeks as an experiment, knowing that I knew that it would like help her. But yeah, she was like, no, okay, I'll give it a go. And I think because also it was like just one thing to change. And also she had really chronic gut issues, like really chronic um, and actually to the point, like we were, we were kind of hitting a wall in a lot of ways. And I was so concerned about the stress factor and how much I couldn't really help with that because it was like this lifestyle driven thing. Anyway, four weeks later, when I spoke to her, her symptoms had reduced by like 50% around the board. Like they weren't gone, but it was massive reduction. All she'd done was change how she ate. Wow. Like freaking awesome right (laughs) that's so simple and yet it made that much of a difference yeah which is crazy i was just talking to a client today actually a similar kind of thing more around meal timing specifically and like making it more regular meals because 
coming back to stress again. <laughs> yeah. When, like, when you don't eat for, I don't know, five plus maybe six hours after that point, maybe it becomes a little bit of a stressor for your body. And then, mm-hmm. like, not eating regular meals, does that put you in a chronic state of stress then? When you're already mm. dealing with stress from work, from home life, from whatever, I don't know, driving home in traffic. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. And then what is that stress doing to your digestion again and how that's affecting your gut microbiome in terms of that, um, uh, I forgot the word for it. What's the other word for leaky gut? The proper one? Permeability. Yeah. <laughs> gut permeability. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> like that, isn't it? Yeah. That. My brain's not working anymore, but like all of those factors combined affecting the rest of her symptoms in terms of gut motility and everything like that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just I'm I'm glad we sort of went into this because I just think it deserves a lot of attention and it's just it's an area I know we're sort of maybe in some ways jumping ahead to as we usually tend to do to treatment sort of stuff, but it's just one of those areas that I think in the, particularly in this space often requires very heavy attention mm. and I don't but I then I don't think people give it enough weight I don't think I don't think people think how can me just quickly eating my lunch at the desk every day have such a you know a profound effect like they just they kind of can't see it um yeah. and I get that I get it but I guess the point is we're trying to like really highlight a bloody dust <laughs> <laughs> you could take a step back and talk about like the vagus nerve is part of the rest and digest kind of nervous system phase, I guess. And then versus when you are stressed in that fight or flight kind of phase, comparing those two, just sitting down for 15 minutes, breathing, not like thinking about work, not checking your emails, taking that time to get your body into that rest and digest phase, how that would change their digestion. Yeah. So true. Well, good segue because I was <laughs> next on the list was like again we'd mentioned at the start was the vagus nerve like yeah what role does it play in this um, we kind of talked about that communication highway but yeah how how else is it involved in relationship to what we're talking about um, so I did I did say it was the longest and most complex nerve bundle um, and like it's it's pretty big if you think about all the connections that could go on in your body. I mean, the legs are pretty long. You can imagine the nerves that go down there. This is kind of almost as big, if not bigger than that. Um, yeah. So it is part of that. Well, I guess it is part of the rest and digest kind of phase in terms of mm. connecting the activities that happen between your gut and your brain. So some fun things that it does apart from the chemical messages, <laughs> reports back fullness sensations and inflammation <laughs> levels. And if you're hungry, like all of these wild things, in terms of other hormones, they help too. But like the vagus nerve mm. is definitely in there amongst the action. Also, like we were talking about with motility just a second ago, helps to regulate those contractions that, that do all of that stuff. Um, and enzyme secretions. So, yeah. There's a lot huge. of involvement here. That's bloody huge, right? Mm. Like everything that you just said, like are just the cornerstones of like making sure you digest food. Yeah. And also like, hello, that you're hungry. I know, as you said, there's some other hormones involved, but how much does that also show 
the different, uh, sorry, not the difference, but that relationship of when you're really busy and on the go all day, like that client you're just talking about. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. And then you finally stop at six, seven when you walk through the door and sit down. You're like, oh my God, I'm freaking starving. That is exactly what she said to me. <laughs> she was like, I get home and I just have to eat everything in sight. Like, I'm so hungry. <laughs> You didn't give yourself time to have lunch. Of course you're hungry. Yeah. And like that just, you know, it literally is showing you that that biochemical relationship there or that neural highway. Like she's she's not riding the vegas nerve highway at all. Not right she's now. Not getting no. that, that feedback. And it's interesting that like there's those other hormones like um, your sort of leptin and ghrelin with how they will regulate appetite. Yeah. But I think... I think what that shows is that how dominant that nervous system can be to kind of come on and layer in over the top. Yeah. Um, but you'd mentioned also about motility, like massive, right? Like how, how much do we see motility issues again at the clinic? Like huge. All the time. And granted, and a lot of that is affected by the gut microbiome, but like you could have, even in kids, if you had a kid that was getting nervous about going to the toilet at school, which is so yeah. common, yeah. what that does to, to their tonality of their vagus nerve. And, like, they're not yeah. listening to it. So it's going to – it's yeah. Yeah, so, so true. And it can swing both ways where it can be more of, like, a um, sort of, like, congestion response or it can be an ex- the other end, which I definitely see in clients and that's even just someone this week I was talking about where it's more of, like, a loose – um, sort of diarrhea type response as well like this kind of over almost over well not almost it's like an overstimulation to this stress response yeah um too much yeah. nerve activity yeah and then obviously in regard to motility is even um SIBO right like SIBO there can be of course just bacterial driven SIBO but one of the other major causes, and we've talked about this in the SIBO podcast, is like poor motility. Um, and some of the therapies that are used for SIBO are working on that vagus nerve. And some people have found like that has been the main game changer for their SIBO. So, mm. yeah, it's just freaking amazing. <laughs> does a lot of things. It's got, it's got fingers in all of the pies. <laughs> I like that analogy. Food based, yeah. <laughs> I just I'm imagining the vagus nerve with its little fingers just like coming out, little like nerve fiber fingers. I should find a picture <laughs> of that. That would be so funny. I can make it's one. A, I'll make one. It's a bit stranger thing sounding actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, now I've got that image of where it's never going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic. And I think like the last thing, I, again, you mentioned it, but it's more, it's definitely a more parasympathetic nervous system mm. dominant. Um, sort of activity that we're looking at with the vagus nerve so really what we mean by that it's more of just your calm your farm nervous system yeah (laughs) just you know rest and digest as opposed to the run away from the saber-toothed tiger yeah Uh, so people your vagus nerve is very important and you want to nurture it and love it and you want to know how you can do that yes please Michaela (laughs) yeah (laughs) tell me I'm going to say the obvious first is just breathing normally in good, solid, deep belly breaths. Like that is one really easy thing you can do in, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 15 seconds. 
just before you eat your meal. There's that, I think it's prana breathe. No, that's not right. The one where you breathe through just your left nostril at a time. Oh, yeah. I can't yeah. remember what it's called either. I feel like it's prana breathing, but I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of others. Um, it's the touching on that vagus nerve that sits at the back of your throat. So gargling and singing mm-hmm. and talking a lot. All of those things help increase the tone of your vagus nerve, which is basically like, it's, it's kind of like a muscle in terms of the more that you treat it, I guess, more that you work it, the better at functioning it is. Mm-hmm. It's not really a muscle, it's a nerve, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> same, yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same, same difference. Yeah. No, I love it. I And you say like, you know, obviously to a point, but I don't think a lot of people would even, the average person would have a clue. It's obvious in my brain, it, which but... is a bit egotistical of me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I just, I love too how some of the sort of common ways that you can stimulate it are also ways that ideally would make people relax a little bit too, of course, because, you know, that's what we're trying to do is tap into that parasympathetic nervous system to a point, but also you're getting that stimulation in the area. So I love things like the singing, like it's like twofold if you enjoy singing, but I, I love singing in the shower and then like saying to a client like have a little sing in the shower but also get some water in your mouth while you're in there and have a have a bit of a gargle (laughs) you get two in one then because you're getting your little serotonin booth from you know being the singing in the shower because it's fun yeah right exactly (laughs) and um even just yeah the breathing exercises i mean there's multitudes out there um but I love how you just highlighted even just having some deep breaths before you eat. Mm. So, you know, when you, I do this myself when I'll finish up with a session and I'm like, all go, go, go in my head, but I'm just also starving and I want to go have lunch. I'll make my lunch. Then when I sit down to eat, I'll just tell myself, Jessica, just take three breaths. Like, so just like three kind of like long, deep breaths. And yeah. it takes like, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds and then the food's still there. It's all okay. But just little things like that even can make a big difference. Yeah. Whereas I'm more like, no, I have to finish my notes right now where I forget. <laughs> and then that's one thing off my plate so I can actually focus on my food. <laughs> Did you have any other fun facts about the vagus nerve? You can also, I think there was some therapy going around a while ago around this but you can also stimulate it through ear massage which is really weird what (laughs) that's cool and and i think they had a tens machine going on their ear and that's what it was i think what's his name dan reutis was talking about it ages ago because he did a a whole class about it but yeah something about tens machine on your ear being able to stimulate that vagus nerve cool i guess it makes sense though as you said like just obviously that nerve yeah. activity coming all the way up into the base there. And it would be really close, like connected to your throat and your mouth, yeah. I guess, in the back of your ear. So, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. I, I think also it's definitely not my area, but I think with um, different massage therapies too. And I imagine mm. even acupuncture. Yeah. Like I'm sure acupuncture would be amazing for this. But, you know, that abdominal, like visceral massage, I know that people will use that. Um, particularly with SIBO, it's used as probably to a point to do with like if people have got scarring and adhesions, mm-hmm. but I think also they'll use it in the right way to help with that 
vagus nerve tone too. Mm. Um, I know I've, I've heard of therapists doing that. I don't know much about it, but yeah, anything that just chills, chills you out is also going to help, right? Yeah, and they do. I know that they do have yoga poses that are like specific for improving digestion as well. But I wonder if that's more about that manipulation of the gut tissue or that stimulation of the, the rest and digest yeah i think most of these things are multifactorial which is why they're so awesome right like they just tick all of the boxes (laughs) nothing works alone no and the cool thing is like we've just mentioned so many and often just picking a couple of those things that work for you Mm. can be really powerful i think sometimes people get a bit overwhelmed when you start talking about all of the different things to do and yeah it's like with a with a client it's we can see we want to all the things we need to go to get to like where we want them to be but it's all of the stepping points along the way to make that achievable yeah and like these are things that you could just try out like you said for that week or four and if it doesn't work for you then move on to the next like it it doesn't have to be a big deal yeah exactly exactly so what about testing like in our in our world functional tests are something we use a lot pathology testing um is there anything in that area that you think, particularly, you know, now 2022 <laughs> compared to probably the last few years when we talked about this back to that sort of gut brain connection space, what are some of the sort of main tests that come to mind that we would look at? Mm, well, sadly we can't test the vagus nerve itself. That would be really cool. <laughs> it would be. But we can test the gut microbiome, obviously. We do that all the time at the clinic. Um, I know that there's a couple of tests for neurotransmitters in the mm. blood, but you can also test um, like the precursors and everything in some of those gut tests. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can test like your cortisol and other hormones that, that would show you how your body's interacting with all of that, whatever is yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like... As usual, like a lot of the tests that we would use, you can see how it correlates into this space. Um, even the organic acid tests mm. with the markers around those, some of those neurotransmitters and seeing like with serotonin and what it's looking like or how you're converting through to dopamine. But again, a lot of that, you know, nine times out of 10 comes back to disruption coming from the gut. Yeah. So a lot of these functional tests can be really crucial for us to understand how your gut is affecting your mental health and throughout sort of different age brackets too like you can see you can see that representation even with kids like if you've got kids where there's some real like this this behavior is really random like this just doesn't seem like my kid yeah sometimes running these tests can be really helpful and i know i've seen that too um where you can get that data back and go right okay here's here's some concrete evidence. proof <laughs> and evidence and I tell you what parent for parents that can be pretty amazing I, I can think of a client who she she knew she was like I know something's not right with my kid like yeah he's a kid and he's gonna just be a kid at times but I see the difference in how he is as him and then I just see him flip out and she's like I I think it's something he's eating and I think something's not right in his gut but She's like, I, she was saying to me, I don't feel, well, it was obviously feeling comfortable to make changes on her own, but also one of the things she said that stood out was that she felt like she was going to be heavily judged by family and friends for changing things in his diet and being restrictive 
and mm-hmm. like kind of depriving him. So it was like she needed to, even though there were certain things that she, I think she knew about what he was eating, she needed that backup. Um, and the testing that we did, particularly with kids, there was some food intolerance tests that were really helpful, was so important for that. Um, and just seeing, like, there were, yeah, he, the behaviour with this particular boy was, like, huge, just from making these changes with food and then working on his gut and the issues we saw in his gut. But it's, um, yeah, I know we're sort of, like, going back onto that, sort of where we started with that that sort of gut connection but with the functional testing I guess this sort of highlights even though we're talking about mood why we're going to be looking at the gut gut markers food um but yeah we do have the option for some of those neurotransmitters as well yeah and that will definitely play into more like that anxiety picture or depression just not feeling your usual self yeah yeah for sure for sure but there's other um, things we can do around that too. Like it doesn't just, we don't have to go through those testing routes, but it is really nice to have that information and be really direct about where we're going with the treatment too. For sure. And then even just standard pathology testing, right? Like hmm. how helpful can that be if someone's really just, say, suffering with like really poor low mood and they haven't had any good quality bloods done? You know, maybe they're really iron deficient or B12 deficient or maybe their vitamin D's in the toilet. Like, we've got so many pathology markers we can check where some of the main things we'll see if they're low is really low mood, um, maybe to the point of being really teary, run down, no energy. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot that we can even see with standard pathology. And I think always encouraging people to get some good blood works done to get blood work done if you feel like something's not right Mm. um even with something like this um i'm just trying to think what's the name of that i don't know if you know off the top of your head the um it's like the online you can order your own pathology these like blood pathology what without a consult yeah, but it's just standard standard bloods. Oh, oh it, it's called ice cream. Just thought of it. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, they have like kind of bundles um, where you go on and you can kind of pay to get, like if you're struggling to get the information, um, they can sometimes be useful for people. Mm. Um, but it's still best if you can take that those, those pathology readings to a practitioner that can help you interpret that yeah sure and is there anything you wanted to add there before we move on no <laughs> no so treating this area um we've mentioned a fair bit today we've talked about that vagus nerve um of course and really as far as some of the outside factors we need to consider and i think the main thing we want to highlight here is around how this concept of treatment for mental health, mood irregularities and the gut realistically should be multimodality. Like there should be other things that are coming in. It, it Most of the time it's particularly with like really um, maybe more severe mental health issues just to rely on that nutrition element on its own or naturopathic element on its own like you need other therapies yeah you wouldn't be doing yourself a service to just rely on one area of treatment i guess yeah for sure 
So do you, like, what are some of the ones, I, mean, I know there's some probably some obvious ones um, that come to mind, but when you're thinking about this area and having those other therapies that can be useful to support or um, out besides just like saying to someone, here's, here's what we want to do with your food, here's what we're doing with your diet, like are there some others that come to mind for you that you would use? In terms of other therapies that I'd like refer to? Yeah, yeah. Like one we've already mentioned is, is probably acupuncture, depending yeah. on the person, but like that might be a key treatment portion mm-hmm. for them. But in terms of mental health, especially with depression and anxiety obviously you talk therapies one kind of more prevalent area that they Mm -hmm. go to um i know there's a lot of people doing some training in terms of uh, mindset and like mental reframing of situations to help literally re re oh i lost the word changes the chemicals in your brain anyway by changing the way that you think about it so there's a lot of external factors here and a lot of mental hard work around it but yeah it's definitely not something to do alone yeah yeah for sure and i just think again i know we mentioned it before but just to reiterate it's often not the easiest part of this process but and whether it's around whether it's around mental health itself and some certain diagnoses there or if it is say strong anxiety or really extreme stress that's affecting you changing up the the way you behave each day and and integrating change with some of the things we've talked about they they seem like they're small things but i know we see in clinic that people find them the hardest to change Mm. like it's don't you think it's easy to say to someone stir this into some water and drink it once a day (laughs) it's out of your comfort zone and you have to really push yourself to to fit it in the routine especially if you do have a lot of trouble with motivation and memory which is so common in depression and anxiety cases um but also like it's very varied like you might have your good days where you are on top of your subs and your food and everything else and then you also have your bad days which you know we work with you to help I don't know, modify either the prep of the food or the way that you're doing that on our end so that it makes it a bit more achievable for you. Mm. But yeah, you are you are no doubt going to have some bad days when none of this gets done and that's fine. But mm. you're still making that progress by doing it all of the other days where you do get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Which just, yeah, it highlights too that sort of importance for that support person. Mm. You know, like it's having that person and, and, and sometimes in this area, a bit of a team of people who are that for you um, and that understanding too, is what you, as you just said, it's like, how do we, how do we make this achievable into bite-sized little chunks, but also be achievable as far as what your expectations are on trying to be perfect mm. at this. And, you know, we're, a lot of this can come back to changing habits and that takes time to change. So let's like just chip away at that. Um, yeah like maybe let's not think that we have to do half an hour of yoga every day (laughs) but maybe you can take five minutes out of your day and just do a little bit of breath work or maybe just do a few stretches um, on the floor before you go to bed at night like there's so many different ways and I think this is where like we we have we kind of have a bit of a big supply in our minds but I also think this is where thinking about how 
other therapies can help and we've definitely highlighted some of them and some of that might even be like a really bloody good yoga teacher mm. um, you know like a yin yoga teacher can be amazing yes. um, so many so many what about I know I didn't write it I write it down on our little hit list but how do you find how do you find herb like liquid herbs in particular like I just feel like if I if I have a client who has a lot going on um, like from that mental load mood point of view if I I'll kind of think about what I can do nutritionally and I, I do love a good compound but I feel like often there's nothing as strong and as like quick hitting as a really good herbal <laughs> what are you maybe you're a bit biased but I'm curious about what you think when it comes to herbs in this space see I kind of think the other way around and I know that's gonna sound weird hold on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mostly it's, it's like herbs are amazing they do a great job at whatever they're doing and they do like nudge the body into the kind of pathway that you want it to go which is amazing in itself like sometimes I just look at them and I'm like wow you're freaking magic mm-hmm. um but if you don't have the cofactors there or you don't have that food that's setting you up properly the herbs aren't going to be able to do their job because like like if you were trying to make I don't know energy in that energy cycle and you didn't have enough b6 or whatever Mm. it's nothing you're going to do that's going to make that energy go Mm. so that cofactors with like some of your compounds and stuff i know mostly this would come through food so that's easy to adjust in most people Um, but i think that's the first point and then herbs just help the nudge especially in those stubborn cases or those cases where you can't quite nail it or mm. even in those cases where like you're trying to go from too many angles or something and you just want something simple because it's really mm. good at compounding literally <laughs> yeah putting lots of things into one kind of bottle so you have to think about it less i like them for that aspect especially when there's a lot going on for that that person and the stress of trying to change all of the things at once might be a little too much yeah that's so cool that's why we love you at jcn <laughs> I'm on your side just with herbs (laughs) love it so much no it's so fascinating so and yeah it makes sense it totally Mm. makes sense but um yeah is there anything else you wanted to bring to the table that we haven't covered uh oh in terms of like multimodality support coming from a personal angle exercise as underrated yes yeah yes and time outside, vitamin D, like all of those things so affect mental health, especially if you're, for anxiety, it's probably more prevalent that you're going to be capable of doing that movement more often, depending on, you know, where and when, but I don't know, depression is a harder one, especially if you're, you are kind of a, a higher level case in terms of working with that, but mm those couple of things like movement especially movement outside can mm-hmm. definitely be one of the key features of that multimodality support which is something that yep. you can do at home yeah i'm glad you mentioned that and that's i mean that's been even pretty heavily studied in its own just mm-hmm. the effects of exercise and yeah sun sunlight and again they seem like small things but they they're massive yeah, I notice it in myself and I don't Same. have like a mental health condition that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> but that movement, like getting up in the morning, going to the gym for me, sets my brain up 
in the the right way like I'm a bit more productive on the days that I do that I know my mood is a lot better on the days that I do that yeah same I'm the same yeah Mm. I just feel like I'm yeah even Damien will say it to me like particularly if it's been a few days which is rare but I just I just feel it like you don't get that same dopamine it's again multiple factors right you get this great dopamine hit um which you just feel great from you're outside you're doing something for you before the day even starts so instead of getting up and getting straight into work or um you know depending if you're working home or not but like essentially you create this time for you yeah at the start of the day and you kind of have all of this sort of all of these extra these um layers of positive reinforcement which makes such a difference into how you feel when you get into work um and like actually start applying yourself and yeah the sun just getting outside i know down here like i i crave it like the days are so cold but i hang for if it's the when it's the weekend in particular and i know i can get outside if it's the sun's out it still (laughs) might be like four degrees but i'll put on like the, yeah. the, the lots of lots of layers but still go for like an hour walk outside and i'll drive to a point like i could walk around in this valley here it's beautiful around the river but i'll actually drive outside the valley to where i know there's a track and there's no trees so i'm just getting sun yeah um and i just i crave it like i actually crave it i'm just like i need to get sun i'm craving um, it right now it's been like <laughs> cloudy and rainy and wet and sad all week and i'm just like i need sunshine please that's it everyone's vitamin d is just really just like in the bottom sad right now (laughs) awesome well thank you so much mickey for joining the podcast today that was a really good chat i think um we covered a lot there and i hope that people learnt a lot today particularly about the vegas nerve because i don't think we've ever discussed it in so much detail and really highlighted its importance and i'd hope if anything people have maybe pulled a few little home tips and tricks tricks they can do (laughs) at home um just to support themselves and also just yeah maybe got people getting people to think a little bit more about how what they do as far as lifestyle habits and how much that can be uh rolled in and um sort of a big part of all of this besides all of the gut stuff because we talk about the the gut all the time in so many ways and it's still like you know magic but i think there's um some other areas that people probably take from today more so than just the microbiome itself Mm. that's a good one yeah so thank you everyone for listening um if you have listened to mickey today and you're like who's mickey who's michaela (laughs) you can (laughs) you can head to the show notes and you'll see um all of our instagram tags there so if yeah if if she's new to you michaela is our naturopath or naturopathic nutritionist i I don't know what to call (laughs) you she's a she's one of us but she has a bonus of herbs on top (laughs) so um you'll find her on instagram and with the jcn clinic Um, Other than that, thanks heaps for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.